Welcome in to a relatively somber Thursday afternoon edition of the Locked On Knicks podcast. The NBA season has been suspended uh, due to the spread of the coronavirus and specifically uh, Rudy Gobert and now Donovan Mitchell on the Utah Jazz being diagnosed with it. Uh, so we will get into that and more on this edition of Locked On Knicks, Alex. Yep, and also the Knicks played a game last night, which sort of got overshadowed by the whole suspension news. They won 136 to 131 over the Atlanta Hawks. There is, of course, a chance that this could be the last time that we see the Knicks for the 2019 to 20 season. So we will go into that and some positives to take away from what was a great game for RJ Barrett, Kevin Knox, and others. Next on Locked on Knicks. You are locked on Knicks. Your daily New York Knicks podcast, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. This is all rebound, back up, off the glass, it's good. brings the Knicks to the ball. What he does is contagious. Oh, Robinson with a catch and slam. Across the lane, Knox foul from behind, got it, and one to Trier. Trier drives down. You are Locked On Knicks, your daily New York Knicks podcast. I'm Gavin Shaw across the river. He's Alex Wolf. Uh, the NBA season, uh, unpreceded in our lifetimes and uh, unproceeded in everyone's lifetimes. This has never happened. Um, the NBA has uh, suspended its operations for the time being, or, or at least uh, the playing of actual games uh, following Rudy Gobert uh, contracting the coronavirus. And uh, now Donovan Mitchell has it as well. So uh, yeah, scary times, uh, no basketball for the foreseeable future, which uh, sucks when you're uh, stuck at home. Indefinitely, but obviously bigger issues out there at the moment. The right decision from the NBA, but just just kind of a crazy, crazy world. And we're, we're still sort of adjusting to this new dynamic where we're not going to have sports for the foreseeable future. Yeah, it's kind of crazy. Like, it's not just the NBA. Um, the NCAA just suspended or well, the NCAA is is in the process of suspending a lot of the conference tournaments this is normally such a huge week for the ncaa i know the big east and the acc yeah. have called all, off their tournaments yeah. so far. all the power five tournaments are done all of them are done now yeah. yeah so and march madness as of right now is still scheduled to go on without spectators i don't but, think it's gonna happen yeah we'll see how that goes uh the nhl then also has uh has uh you know suspended their season similar to how uh the nba did and we there's a report today from uh bruce arthur who's from the toronto star he says the nba has told teams that the league will be suspended for 30 days at minimum he said that's an aspirational timeline uh it's a minimum and almost certainly not in their control obviously it's kind of it depends on how this whole uh virus gets gets figured out or whatever um you know th there's all kinds of things out there it, basically the the main thing with this virus is that it spreads so quickly from human to human contact so basically the world <laughs> now at this point is trying to limit uh that sort of contact as much as possible 
And so that means no sporting events for now, including, I mean, I guess now that, you know, they got rid of the option of potentially doing empty arena things as well, because no matter what, you know, if you're having a sports game, even without any fans in the arena, you still have uh, the players, the referees, the coaches, uh, whatever media personnel would be there to cover it. And so it's not like you're, you're doing it completely in a vacuum where there's no chance of this disease spreading. So, uh, undeniably the right decision by the NBA. Um, and I hope it doesn't take too long. I mean, it sounds like, you know, we're going to be without it for at least a month. Uh, I believe Woj tweeted out something about, uh, or, or he retweeted somebody who said something to the effect of, you know, if the NBA season does come back, it's going to be probably on a, uh, abbreviated schedule, which makes sense as well. Cause you can't really can't lose a month worth of, play time you know of, of schedule time and then come back and uh uh you know play the same amount of games and still fit in a full postseason and everything else because you literally be butting right up to next season at that point uh so we'll see it's you know it's possible they may even just call this as the regular season a lot of the regular season races seemed pretty well determined you know there's a good amount of space between a lot of the uh playoff teams you know for certain seedings and stuff outside of like the three to six spot in the West or whatever. So maybe they'll just come back when they can and just execute the playoffs and that's it. But uh, I don't know. It's, it's all kind of, it, it's so funny to put it, it, not not that the situation itself is funny, Gavin, but it's funny to put it in perspective that, you know, when they, when they postponed that Lakers Clippers game right after Kobe's death, some people were like, oh, they should just, uh, they should just like, you know, leave that game off, like not make either team play it. Like, it's fine. They could just play 81 games for the season. And then, you know, Kobe scored 81, blah, blah, blah. And people were like wigging out about like, no, you can't do that. Like, what if it comes down to just a couple games between these teams or or, like one game between these teams? And then all of a sudden that half game difference where they didn't play a game makes a difference and this, that, and the other. And I don't know. I just found it. I found it kind of funny that now we're, (laughs) now we're literally staring in the face like the last, you know, 16 17 18 games depending on the team uh games of the season might just not happen at this point but obviously it's all in the name of public safety so it's you know it's hard to argue with the result yeah i mean i was i was telling you pre-podcast i'm kind of surprised they didn't do this earlier and i I was maybe maybe we should have talked about it more on the pod but like i've been i've been kind of wondering for weeks this seems sort of inevitable to me like i mean you could you could check my twitter I, i put out on on February 25th, that I, I thought the NBA would would eventually have to cancel their season, and it just seemed it, it just seemed like I, I didn't understand how there was a world where an NBA player didn't contract it. The projection right now is that a third of Americans are going to end up getting it. You have 450 guys in the league, not to mention all the personnel, and like I'm not I'm not even talking about fans and arena security guards or just people in the building, but the essential personnel on teams, coaching staff front office, I mean, even even the players' families, you're talking about the intersection of thousands and thousands of people, and the idea that not one of these guys was going to eventually get sick, I mean, that's just insane, and it's, I like not, again, like I, I think I always say not to get political, I don't want to get political, but I end up getting political like one out of every four or five episodes these days, um, but it, it's sort of, it's representative of what's going on in, in the country, where, I mean, things are, I think, starting to turn at this point, but for the last week and a half, there's been this mass denial of what's happening, and it's it's eventually going to cost 
thousands and thousands of lives. And I know a lot of people listening that might sound extreme, but like do your research, like look at what's happening across the world, uh, particularly in Italy, who, who, which is a country whose pattern we're most closely following at this point. And it's, it's genuinely scary stuff. So the fact that it took this long and it took until a player was actually diagnosed is mystifying to me. And now if, if you, if you want to localize it and circle it back to the Knicks, I mean, there's a scenario now where they're talking about all the players on the Knicks having to self-isolate because they played the jazz relatively recently. And like, and the odds of like the Knicks getting it specifically from Rudy Gobert, I think are, are pretty darn low. I mean, given that they played a while ago, at this point, they like, and it's possible to not show symptoms for up to two weeks, but in all likelihood, he didn't have it at that point. But the the, the point is, like, I just think, I mean, I, I think this was grossly irresponsible from the NBA, but you almost, you, you can't call them out specifically because it's been true of every league. It's been true of college basketball, who's been so incredibly reluctant to actually go ahead and cancel the NCAA tournament and so reluctant to cancel these conference tournaments. It, it, it really, it took the push of Gobert getting it to trigger what should have been done 10 to 15 days ago, which is, it, it's crazy to me, but it's also, it's sort of, again, not to get too deep, but kind of representative of human nature where no one wants to be the person ahead of the curve. And particularly a politician doesn't want to be the person ahead of the curve and canceling stuff. And fans just, I mean, you saw the reaction. We, we were talking about this pre-show too. You saw the reaction even at the arena when, when Jazz Thunder were canceled and people were freaked out. Imagine if they'd done it two weeks ago when the cases in the U.S. weren't even all that bad yet. It would have been the prudent move, but people would have lost their minds at Adam Silver. And the owners would have like flipped a shit because they're like, what are you talking about? This isn't here yet. But so many times in these situations, you can say Eliza being ahead of it and making a not popular decision. And instead they, they sort of went with the status quo, did the opposite. And we, I think we have yet to fully see the implications of that. And it's a much bigger issue nationally than it is just within the NBA. But I just think this is an interesting microcosm of how these big organizations think, how they prioritize money over human lives. And it's it, at the end of the day, I mean, I think it's, it's scary stuff and something has to change going going forward oh i mean ultimately if you want to point fingers at anything and you know you just said not to make it too political but sure. i mean the u.s the u.s government it deserves a lot of blame for the situation for not assessing things you know earlier i mean the president of the united states was uh trying to score political points calling this a hoax as of like a week or two ago yeah. um which is uh you know, pretty irresponsible he was he was saying that everyone's going to be fine. Nobody worry. Everyone's going to be fine. So yeah, yeah. I I mean I think you know I think that in his mind it's probably oh you know you, you the fatality rate is two percent. Why do I care about two percent of people, most of which can't afford health care or whatever? So um, yeah, I'll, I'll curtail myself since we're technically a sports podcast here. But uh, yeah, it's uh, you know. I guess on the bright side, you know, for like you or I or uh, as far as the NBA players and stuff, I mean, it, it seems to have a, a very low fatality rate amongst younger people. The main thing is trying to prevent the spread of this to older people and people with respiratory issues um, because it seems to attack them way more vigorously than, um, you know, younger, more healthy people. So it's, you know, it's like a flu, but it's, you know, proving it's going to be difficult to fully get the numbers right because you don't know how many people maybe even got it and just thought it was a regular old flu or a regular old cold and completely got over it and never even had to report it. But 
you know, it is still scary stuff and it's a disease that's spreading very quickly. And, um, I don't find myself personally worried about like contracting it and dying so much, but, uh, you know, it's, it's certainly worth, you know, being safe for the benefit of all people rather than, you know, just continuing with your daily life and having this disease spread because it's, <laughs> Man, you look at some of the polls out there, and people are gross, man. <laughs> like, the amount of people that say that they don't wash their hands, like, regularly, like, don't wash their hands after using the bathroom, or or this, that, and the other, and I'm like, oof, man, I I was, I, I went from, you know, washing my hands, I think, a, a fairly normal amount of times to, you know, carrying a sanitizer around with me and literally sanitizing my hands. Like, when I went to the garden last week, anytime I touched anything that was not a personal possession of mine. I sanitized my hands afterwards and you know, I, I, that's what people should have been doing. And maybe that would have helped, you know, prevent the spread of this a little bit more, but uh, yeah, wild stuff. Wash your hands, people for the love of God, like everybody listening to this, wash your hands a lot. You know, if you're going to be out in public and, you know, do the vampire cough, like do all that stuff, man. Don't, don't take any chances. Don't be like coughing on people and German things up. Cause God knows this, disease doesn't seem to need any help so i don't know psa time it's over <laughs> yeah well i was just gonna say the one the one final nba related element of this that i wanted to talk about and then we can move on i mean the fact that the utah jazz and like again i, I don't want this to be misconstrued it's good that they had testing but that the jazz were able to test 58 people associated with their team and and perhaps, i'm not sure if that included the thunder too but i think it was just the jazz and, and new york city collectively is doing about 100 tests per day up to this point is it's it's pretty it's it's terrifying and if you if you look again around the world and again not to this is ultimately a basketball podcast so i don't want to take too much time on this but the countries that are doing well like south korea for example it's because they're testing extremely aggressively and and in doing so limiting the spread of the disease or and the biggest thing with, with all of this is really slowing the spread of it because it's inevitable that a pretty significant portion of the population is going to end up getting it what what makes a big difference is spreading that out over the course of a year versus a lot of those cases being concentrated in the next two to three months because hospitals as of now the projection is that um 10 percent of cases will lead to hospitalization, which would translate in America to 7 million people. And there's a total of 300,000 available hospital beds in the United States. So it's, it's, and again, even if you, even if you cut that down significantly, you're still looking at an overwhelming number. And, and so the key is to spread cases out as widely as possible. So people that will survive this can survive this by getting proper care. And it's, I, I don't know, at least for me personally, it was like a little disheartening and concerning that i mean again it's a situation where money talks but an nba franchise would immediately have access to um 58 tests when the biggest city in the country and and just because of the nature of new york city and how concentrated it is the one that's most prone to being affected by this um really doesn't have has access to a, such a disproportionately small amount and I don't know. I don't know if that's appropriate for this podcast. I don't know if people want to hear that, but it was just something that sort of sort of shook me. And, and is just, I mean, again, representative of what America is, where there's this gross fetishization of, of wealth. And it's 
I, I don't know. It's just it's it's scary stuff to me. I maybe maybe I'm not the person to talk about it. Maybe this isn't the platform to talk about it. But I, I wanted to mention that at least. Yeah, I mean, if you're talking about mismanagement of the situation too, like New York has been pretty uh, behind the curve on this whole thing. I mean, as far as I know, I it may have changed in the last like 24 hours or so, but they hadn't even uh, called off in-person classes yet. At, like yeah, at colleges they have, and pu- public schools are still rolling on, which is horrifying. Which is terrible. Yeah. I don't know how you haven't called off school yet. You know what I mean? It's it's ridiculous to me, um, especially because kids, you know, presumably would be more susceptible to, you know, the potential uh, worse effects of this, you know, particularly like young children, because um, they don't know how to treat themselves as well as adults do, obviously. And they wouldn't, you know, like if you or I would start feeling these symptoms, we'd be like, OK, hydrate, 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 check my temperature constantly. Like the second I start running a fever, pump myself full of anti-fever medicine, you know, and like you or I could probably just get through this. You know, if we if we caught Corona tomorrow, we would be fine, you know, within a week or two um, of just self-treatment. But like, you know, kids don't know how to do that. And, you know, yeah, well, it's it's worth noting that like kids in general seem like they're not again. I I don't want I'm not a doctor, but the, the consensus is like it's a lot more difficult for kids to contract it. Than it but is if for they adults. do, but if yeah. they do, then it's that much yeah. worse. You know what I mean? For sure. Um, but yeah, but also they're just vehicles too. So I mean, it's like you know. Yeah, that's the bigger thing because then they go home it, to their grandparents, and again, it can kill your grandparents. And the other, the really, I mean, the scary thing that's happening in Italy right now is they literally don't have enough ventilators for people, and and older people are. This is, this is horrible, but it's 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 reality. They're dying in the streets. Because they're literally out of ventilators, and if you if you don't think that can happen in the United States, you're, you're kidding yourself. Because that's that's sort of what we're staring down right now. Yeah, and, but yeah, sorry, it, correct. Go. Yeah, sorry. Go ahead. No, no, I was I was going to bring it back to basketball. So you go ahead. Oh sure. I mean, I, I was just going to say, like, I initially apologize for talking about this, but you know, we we have a platform. I think, and and I'm happy if there if there are any medical professionals listening, and and I got anything wrong i think i think i've been pretty well read on all this but please let us know on twitter and we'll we'll promote it and we'll, we'll issue a correction on it but we have a platform i think it's i think it's worth it if I, I think it's worth it to tell people what's going on that's not that's not to say people should panic in in really extreme ways but washing your hands extremely aggressively as as you keep seeing nba players tweet which i think is sort of funny but also also great that guys like Jalen brown and Giannis antetokounmpo and i think i saw luka Doncic are tweeting out stuff like this wash your hands wash your hands aggressively um to the best of your ability and and i completely understand and respect that there are people with financial difficulties that that makes it that make it extraordinarily tough to not go into work and there are people who are where it's tough enough that like if you don't go into work you, you don't you don't have food. And that's, again, a reflection on issues with our with our system of government and particularly the current government. Um, but to the best of your ability, practice social distancing, especially if you're in New York City, because the fact of the matter is with this, there are people who don't show symptoms for up to 14 days. It's very, very hard to tell who actually has it and who doesn't. And even if you think you're being safe, if you're outside constantly, there's no guarantee that you are. Even if you're inside, there's no guarantee that you are. But the best thing you can do is if you have it, not to spread it around. So just do your best. And again, this is a basketball podcast. I don't feel great talking about this, but I, I do feel responsible. Even with our relatively limited audience, we do have some kind of audience that consistently listens, and they should know that. Um, Alex, I, I've, I've talked enough about it. Let's Let's absolutely bring it back to basketball. Well, my way of bringing it back to basketball is still going to be on the Corona topic. Just for oh, sure. one more thing. Can cool. we talk about how Rudy Gobert is like the biggest idiot in the whole freaking world? Yeah, like, I, I mean, 
I, <laughs> it's unreal. Like the dude is the first confirmed case. And then you, there's stuff leaking out today about how uh, apparently in the, the jazz locker room, I mean, like some jazz players have talked to NBA reporters now, like off the record being like, yeah, he was making us all uncomfortable for like weeks now, like being very disrespectful of like our personal space and things in like, you know, trying to be like a jokester about all this. And, you know, it, then eventually he gets freaking Donovan Mitchell infected as well. And who knows, like, I, I feel really bad for the the throng of jazz reporters and potentially our boss, David Locke, who were at the last, uh, one of his last, like, press conferences that he did. Because uh, being the jackass that he was, he went up and after he got done with the interview, he made a point to, like, demonstrably, like, stand up without putting his hands on anything, walked two steps, and then turned around and, like, touched every single one of their their microphones and recorders and everything else and, like, rubbed his hands all over it. And I'm like, dude, that's that's so stupid and disrespectful. And it sounds like, I mean, reading between the lines, it sounds like Donovan Mitchell is pissed at him, which I would be too if, you know, like... NBA patient zero was my teammate and like basically there was proof that he got me infected. Um, but yeah, Mitchell, uh, Mitchell made an Instagram post that read like one long subtweet at Rudy Gobert, basically being like practice, uh, you know, practice safety and wash your hands and don't touch other people's shit and <laughs> you know, whatever. But uh, yeah, it, I don't know. I just wanted to, I just wanted to point out, as if everybody isn't already, but I wanted to point out that Rudy Gobert is a huge idiot and jackass for acting the way that he has over the last couple of weeks. Yeah, I was like, I like initially like wanted to defend him a little bit because like like when he touched all like the reporters' mics, even though like obviously like dumb joke, but my logic at the time was like, all right, like we don't even know if he if he got it from that. Like apparently he was hanging out with some people who had just come in from France and like theoretically. Like they could have had it and, and that could have um, transmitted or he could have just picked it up from someone random in his life. And I was going to like make the point like it's it sort of like even though that was like obviously like a funny incident to point to it was sort of unlikely got it from that specifically. But everything else that's come out since and especially I, I didn't even know what you just said, like the point that like he was like constantly making this a joke with his teammates like it's. It, it's it's really it's it sucks it's and it's scary when someone does that like with like a really significant issue like there's always that one person who like that's sort of how their anxiety plays out they're like oh okay like i'm i'm sort of like secretly anxious about this let me needle everyone else a little bit and when it actually ends up hurting people it's it's like kind of it's kind of terrifying and, and again to, to further circle back it's sort of like representative of what the whole mentality of this was in the United States. Like it was just like people like, I mean, you'll even hear, like I haven't released like the, the three part series from last week. Like um, our friend of the show and, and guest for those three episodes, um, uh, Marcus uh, host of host of locked on nets. He, he, he like coughs like, in, and I'm just like my first thing. I'm like, Oh, Corona. And it was like a week ago. Like it was, it was like a joke and people were, were treating it that way. And it's, it's a testament for people to read up and be knowledgeable because these situations would be a lot less dangerous if people were mature about them and, and sort of took it seriously. Yeah. Yeah. It just, I did look up the, uh, I looked up the tweet just cause I knew I was pretty sure it came from Woj. Uh, he said a few hours ago, he said jazz star Donovan Mitchell has tested positive for the coronavirus. League sources tell ESPN jazz players privately say that Rudy Gobert had been careless in the locker room, touching other players and their belongings. Now a jazz teammate tested positive. So 
Yeah, and when it comes out like that, says jazz players privately say that, that means that a bunch of them went to Woj or somebody close to Woj or whatever, and were like, yeah, leak this shit out, like, because we're upset with Rudy Gobert now. So, uh, yeah, it's uh, it would be interesting. I mean, not to not to take the focus away from the infectious disease part of this, but it's going to be interesting to see how that jazz locker room responds when everything goes back to somewhat normal after this all dies down and, uh, you know, they have to face each other at work again. Uh, it, it'll be intriguing to see how things go and uh, how the Twitter battle is going to play out between now and then with subtweets and Instagrams and everything else. But we'll see. Gavin, you want to talk briefly about the game real quick? Yeah, as I, <laughs> as I mentioned, yeah, uh, I'm going to, I'm full transparency. I'm okay saying this. I, I did not watch this. I was freaking out last night. I was just doing a lot of reading, basically been doing that all morning too. And I actually, like, I kind of wanted to watch it because I was thinking like, all right, let me just take my mind off things for a while. And it's, I, I don't know. Do you ever get caught in those loops? Like where you're on Twitter and, and you realize maybe, maybe this is extreme, but that like three hours have passed because that's that's been happening to me a lot the last few days like i just i constantly want updates i keep refreshing i keep going over old tweets i keep looking at the same things over and over again none of it is productive but that's how i've been spending my week alex yeah i've done that plenty myself too um with things not even as important as this whole situation but uh luckily i watched the game um so, you know, I come away with these very important takeaways from <laughs> what might be the last Knicks game of the season. Uh, so, yeah, the Knicks, they wound up winning 136 to 131. Uh, they led by as many as 23 at one point in the game, and they went into the fourth quarter with an 18-point lead, uh, if I'm not mistaken. And, or maybe maybe not quite that many, but they had a, an 18 point point lead at one point in the fourth quarter they managed to cough that all up though uh trey young started to you know be himself and started scoring the ball he ended up uh scoring 42 points which just you know, like scoring 40 points seems at minimum seems like his benchmark against the knicks anymore uh he shot 12 of 25 from the floor 6 12 from three large part of that came in the second half of the game because he looked fairly uncomfortable for the first half uh, but the Knicks actually, you know, unlike the game against the Wizards, they managed to pull this one out. Uh, you got to honestly give lots of credit to Julius Randle. He uh, he took it upon himself, as he often does, to to be sort of the guy for the Knicks down the stretch to help keep them in the game. And he actually did do that. Uh, he made some clutch three-pointers. He made a really nice uh, fallaway shot towards the end of the game that put the Knicks uh if I'm not mistaken, that one put them up by three, which then uh, the Hawks came down, made a three of their own, which tied it, and the Knicks were not able to, uh, you know, win the game in regulation. They set up this truly bizarre play, I guess you could call it, but it was like they had Alfred Payton bring the ball down. I mean, they had like it wasn't like they had like two seconds left. They had like a solid 15 seconds to figure out a play, and uh, marched Alfred Payton down and. The whole game plan was essentially to send everybody towards the baseline, sort of, except for Peyton, to create an ISO opportunity that way, like not spacing anybody out by the, by the, um, you know, the corners and the elbow threes at all, and just kind of, I don't know, it was, it was very strange. I don't know if the plan was to maybe try to unlock a uh, 
a baseline lob for Mitch or something, but it whatever it was did not work in the slightest, and it just led to a really crowded paint, and Peyton drove right in, got helped on, and lost the ball, and uh, then it went to overtime. But then overtime, there's you know more clutch shot making by Randall, and R.J. Barrett made a clutch three, got maybe the last Mike Breen bang of the season, um, for making that three, and the Knicks kind of pulled away, and then uh, at the end of the game, it was a really nice moment where it, there was another realization, like the apparently the Hawks coaching staff didn't wasn't even thinking about this, but nobody really knew about the the news about the season being fully suspended yet, which that news dropped like halfway through the fourth quarter um, of the game. But they considered, oh, you know, at the time, the prevailing thought was that the NBA might start playing games in empty arenas. And uh, so with that thought in mind, the crowd started chanting for Vince Carter, which obviously it's his 22nd NBA season, which is just obscene. That's like so crazy to me. And uh, it potentially could have been his last game in front of fans. And so what fans were there, it was a very empty house in Atlanta, but they called for Vince Carter. He got a really nice introduction and uh, poetically sort of wound up uh, next to RJ Barrett at the, um, you know, on the block uh, before, a free throw and they looked like they had a nice little conversation, which obviously Vince Carter is like one of the biggest stars to ever play basketball for Toronto and Canada. And RJ Barrett is one of the biggest prospects to ever come out of Canada. Um, so that was a cool moment. And then Carter managed to hit a three on the other end as well. Uh, like right after checking in late in the game there. So that was potentially a really cool moment, potentially the last on court moment of Vince Carter's career, which was uh Kind of surreal that happened so quickly and almost didn't happen if the fans hadn't like chanted it into existence. And Carter could have literally just spent his last like 20 minutes in the NBA just glued to the bench. But uh, I was glad to see that that got to happen. Um, Gavin, other than that, like my main takeaway from this game and really, I mean, if we want to just look at it from the perspective of the last couple games, if this ends up being the end of the next season, is that I think we really have a lot to look forward to with the young players. Uh, RJ Barrett like played probably one of his best games of the whole season. Uh, he shot nine of 14, had 26 points, uh, paired that up with five rebounds and four assists. Only turned it over twice, had two steals and a block. Also, he looked super, super comfortable all night. Um, he shot the three. Well, he shot two of five from three shot six of six from the free throw line, which is, you know, uh, way out of character for him lately uh, and for the whole season, really. And I thought, you know, the last few games, you know, they haven't all been perfect, but, you know, RJ, I think, has really put it out there that he's someone to be reckoned with, Gavin. And I think we can feel pretty good about having him. I mean, not that we didn't, but there were times, you know, in the middle of the season where he had really cooled off, where you started thinking, like, oh, man, maybe he's not as good as we thought, but. I think my my fears have been, uh, you know, kind of washed away as far as that's concerned. I feel pretty confident about RJ going forward now. Yeah, I mean, that's I, I think just just getting to watch him on the ball a little bit over the last few weeks. I mean, it's it's been really encouraging. And and the other element is like I think I I didn't give enough credence to just what a tough situation he's been in. 
all year with the Knicks' lack of floor spacing. And I know I, I think two podcasts ago, I really, I really made an emphasis. Uh, I really put an emphasis on that. But I'll, I'll say again what I said of what I said about him earlier. Like if he was like on the Rockets and four shooters around him, or even even if he had three shooters around him, like I, I think the guy's built to be a pretty efficient scorer. And I still think his long term upside is pretty contingent on his outside shooting ability. And that's going to be the big thing for him with this potentially super extended offseason, depending on how things go. And even maybe maybe even from now until like play starts up again. And that, that's the interesting part of all this. We haven't really talked about like what's going to happen to the NBA schedule. Like even if the season returns in, let's say, May and then runs through August or maybe like the end of July, like what that's going to do the start of next season, like whether they'll push that back, whether it'll permanently shift the NBA calendar, or if we'll take a couple of seasons of slightly shorter and shorter off seasons for them to get back on track. Like it's going to be kind of crazy, but this is, this is in a lot of ways, sort of a unique opportunity. I mean, considering that they're going to, if, if basketball does return, I, I think inevitably it'll be condensed in some way or the, or another um, for the young guys to put in just a heck of a lot of work. And for someone like RJ and I'm sure, We'll get into this over the coming weeks, uh, but for him, it, I mean, it's all about it's all about that jump shot for me. And if he can turn himself into a shooter, that uh, more more than just changing his game, I think it changes how the Knicks can build their roster around him. Because right now, as like as encouraging as it's been and as exciting as it's been to watch all three of them flourish, I, I don't think Frank Nilakina, R.J. Barrett, and Mitchell Robinson can play. 30 minutes together a night unless one of them becomes an above average three point shooter. So to me, that's, that's sort of the biggest thing to watch from the Knicks this off season. And if they don't think that can happen, I mean, I, I think point cards going to be the spot as well as Frank has played where, where you see that they try to make a move in the draft and acquire someone who is that high level shooter. Yeah. I, and I wouldn't quite frankly see, I mean, I think that Frank is definitely at his best as a guy who's initiating offense and stuff like that. But if you could get a point guard, I mean, let's say that the, some people were complaining, I mean, that now by winning last night, the Knicks are in the sixth uh, lottery odds. By losing, they could have slipped into the third spot. I don't really care so much about that, if we're being completely honest. I I, I much more enjoyed seeing R.J. Barrett do something in a win, you know, and, and promote winning. And Frank Nilakina was in there down the stretch for the Knicks as well, even though he hadn't um, shot the ball as well in this game. And Mitchell Robinson was in there down the stretch. I mean, that was well worth losing whatever lottery position to me because we saw last year the lottery positioning doesn't really mean crap anyway. Um, if you're in the third spot, you're most likely to end up in the sixth spot. It's like a 30% chance. And if you're in the sixth spot, you're most likely to end up in the seventh spot. It's also like a 30% chance. So I really, it doesn't, you know, these new lottery odds are so wacky that it doesn't really bother me too much being those three spots down. Um, the, but yeah, like to your point, Frank, I, I, I think he does his best work when he's really initiating and being the point guard out there. There was one possession that really stood out to me. The Knicks didn't even get a, get a shot off. Frank actually, he got stripped uh, in the lane and the Knicks got the ball back eventually on this play. But there's this play where like he came down. It was a design handoff to Bobby Portis up at the top of the key. And then Frank literally directed traffic from the corner to every single player that was on the floor at some point or another. And I'm just like, these are the sort of reasons why he is going to be so valuable going forward. Like he, he handed the ball off to Bobby at the top, started running towards the corner. Wayne Ellington was still in the corner and Frank's literally like motioning to him going like, come on, come on, come on, like pass by me. 
Ellington goes up, passes by Frank, and gets up to the you know the top of the key. Portis passes to him. Some more motion starts going on. Frank, meanwhile, is like pointing over to the other uh, the other corner, like telling Kevin Knox to come up towards the the top of the key and all that. And you know, eventually Frank wound up um, getting the ball back in the corner and attempting to make a baseline drive where he was probably going to try to kick it out and up to Knox or something and uh, wound up getting the ball stripped, you know, just because he kind of overplayed his hand a little bit, but the Knicks got the ball back. But I, it was just one of those plays where you're like, Frank is really like the definition of like a quarterback type player out there where he knows where everybody should be and he's going to make sure that everybody gets where they should be because, you know, he just understands the playbook that well. And so... I guess my overarching point with this, as you were just saying, you know, maybe the Knicks will look into drafting someone who can be a better shooter or whatever, and and that's totally cool. I wouldn't really care if they drafted someone who was a point guard or a wing because I think at this point I feel pretty good as long as you draft someone who can who can handle the ball to some degree. Uh, I think that you can fit Frank in either as the shooting guard or the point guard, and you know, roll with him going forward, and he'd either be you know, your de facto point guard that lets some other guys like RJ Barrett and, you know, whoever else you draft handle the ball, or he ends up being sort of secondary playmaker, but can still have that valuable presence out there being out there for defense, for ball movement and for kind of quarterbacking the offense. So it was just, you know, again, not a very, not a super impressive statistical game for Frank, particularly coming off his first 2010 game, but all in all a pretty good effort for him. And then lastly, Mitchell Robinson finished with 16 points, 7 to 7 shooting. Really had his struggles from the free throw line. He only shot 2 of 7, but that's kind of a rarity for him. But uh, further sort of solidified that, you know, chase that he has now for the the field goal percentage record. And uh, yeah, I don't know, Gavin. I feel great about Mitch, too. Uh, I was really hoping that we would get, you know, the, the last however many games of the season so we could maybe see him as a starter. But. If this is it, you know, and this is where we end for the season, then at the very least, we'll hopefully get to see him as a starter next year, I think. Yeah, it's it's amazing that there was never that full on commitment to Mitch. And I'll I'll never really totally understand. Like, obviously, like, look, like give give Miller a little credit for playing him consistently down the stretch. But I'm just I mean, the guy he was he was their best player all season and I mean, inarguably over the course of the second half of the year. And it was just like there was like this mandate from the top of the organization. Hey, you can only play him this many minutes. And like maybe like to be fair, like sometimes like you question this stuff and it's it's plausible that there's like internal like health metrics on him that show that like, hey, like for now, like it's best that he's only out there for 25 to 28 minutes. So that's kind of my one qualifier on this stuff. And I, I believe there's always there's always information that coaching staffs and front offices are privy to that we're not. And that's why like when something on its surface seems just like totally irrational, I and may, maybe, or maybe I haven't in the past, it might be revisionist history, but I'm going to try to give sort of the benefit of the doubt to the coaching staff and say like, Hey, I mean, they're, they're way more invested in this than I am. Uh, presumably they're way smarter about basketball than I am. Like there, there has to be a reason for this, but that, that'll always, and until that reason comes out, if it does ever come out, it'll always mystify me that he didn't have a bigger role. Um, that being saying, like, I, f- I feel really good like you about where his game's at. And I remember like very beginning of the season, we were saying like, it just doesn't seem like he 
improved at all over the offseason. And then I think in the second half of the year, you really saw it. like he, he was definitely stronger and just more powerful and more voracious in his finishes around the basket. Obviously, all that athleticism was still there. And most importantly, defensively, just getting smarter and fouling a whole lot less. He, he still, is, still has a ways to go there, um, not just in terms of fouling, but in terms of not falling for pump fakes on the perimeter and um, continuing to improve his lower body. So, I mean, some of the more dominant bigs in the league can't kind of shove him around and just create room with their physicality. But all in all, I mean, he's I, I, I'm still of the belief, and I think you're still of the belief that he's a star. And like whether it's the type of star that makes 10 all-star teams or just a higher level version of a Tyson Chandler, like one way or the other, like he's he's an essential building block for the Knicks. And it, it was it was good this year, if nothing else, to get confirmation of that. Yep, absolutely. Um, I guess last guy I just want to briefly touch on is Kevin Knox. Uh, and then we can wrap things up. I think we went a little longer on the virus itself than we wanted to, uh, which has led this podcast to go just a little long. But uh, Knox had a great game as well. He sort of regained his stroke from three, shot three of three from three-point range, finished with 12 points. Uh, He had two steals as well. Didn't have any blocks in this game, but I thought played a pretty good defensive game. uh, He's the one guy that I am both the most encouraged about and the most worried by going forward. And I really hope, my biggest hope is just that he, uh, he holds on to this momentum that he's gained these last few games before this uh, suspension or maybe eventual cancellation of the rest of the regular season. Because I thought in the last few games, even when his shot wasn't falling, he's been playing great defense, I think, by comparison to how he was playing. Uh, He's altering more shots. He's even playing the perimeter better, which is like weird because that was normally his Achilles heel. And just his IQ seems to be getting better. And so... Uh, I, I hope that Knox holds on to it. You know, I hope that he doesn't revert back to any bad tendencies whenever he sees the court again for the Knicks, because I'm finally starting to see the vision of a player, you know, a player that could, once he figures out his shot, potentially finally be that like Richard Lewis type that I've been saying that he could be since last summer or earlier. Um, you know, of a, a guy who could potentially score a good amount, uh, play small ball, you know, four man and get a decent amount of rebounds and, um, just in general be a plus player. Um, you know, even if he's not the most impactful guy on defense, at least doing enough to justify the offense that he would hopefully bring. So, uh, I feel good about Knox after this game. I don't know if you have anything else to add on him or, or if you want to wrap up at this point. No, I think I've I think I've said my my piece on Knox and and what he has to work on going forward. I, I won't I won't overly harp on it, but uh, yeah, I'm pretty content to wrap up there. Just just with the note that we're we're going to keep producing content. I mean, we're going to figure out ways to be creative, have guests on, um, and and maybe get into some of our typical off season coverage, which will include more of an emphasis on the draft, um, starting to get into potential free agents, which we actually, we've had so much going on with the Knicks this year, which sounds weird in a season where they were largely really bad. I remember last season we were like really scraping the barrel and like constantly talking about new free agents. And, and part of that was last year's free agent class was a lot more enticing than this year's, but that that's still going to be something that we get into potential options, how the Knicks can rebuild potential coaching options that the Knicks will have. 
and um, yeah, just just general offseason coverage. Maybe we'll we'll finally I- incorporate uh, my idea where I like once a month, and we could even move this to once a week. Just go completely off topic and talk about something not at all related to basketball or not at all related to the Knicks. Um, so so a lot of different things coming down the pipes, Alex. Uh, but yeah, I'm, I'm kind of excited to get into it and see how creative we can be and, and find stuff to talk about. Same, and uh, you know, general the general takeaway here for everybody listening is just we're not going anywhere. The next season may end up being over, but our season is never over. Um, and yeah, as Gavin said, we will uh, we'll be, you know, maybe just shifting our coverage to a little more big picture stuff and getting some cool guests on and getting some evaluation on some of these draft prospects. Um, maybe even go a little off Nick's topic and talk about how the, you know, this whole situation has affected the NCAA and how it's going to affect scouting going forward and stuff like that. Talk to some of the bigger voices in like scouting um, coverage for the NBA and stuff like that. So we will have some good guests and everything coming on. That is a given and uh, we're not going anywhere. So for now though, that wraps up this edition of locked on Nick's. Now make sure to tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Rejecting the Screen. All right, have a good day and a good week if we don't talk to you again. Be safe, wash your hands, report your symptoms, take care of yourself, and you know we'll get through all this. So peace out. <laughs>